Hi everyone, welcome to the Good Health Cafe. I hope you've got your warm beverage in hand. Today our guest is Mr. Short James. He has worked for many years as a Chief Information Officer in various U.S. healthcare institutions. He sat down with me to discuss data, information, and the benefits of electronic health records. Let's listen to the episode. Well, hi, Uncle Stuart. Welcome to the Good Health Cafe. Thank you for coming. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Well, well, thank you, Nice. It is such an honor to be on your show. And, you know, I've seen you with, with this passion for so long, for as long as I've known you. You've been consistent in your passion. So I'm, I'm proud of you and, and, and happy that you're doing your thing and making a difference. And I'm just honored to be on your show. Um, besides being, being honored to be your uncle, I have worked for the last 30 years in, in healthcare as an information technology professional, usually as a leader of a hospital information system department, as a chief information officer, or some similar senior role. And essentially what that means is I work on systems that process information within the hospital, electronic medical records, patient portals, telehealth, those types of things are what I work on. And essentially my job is to make sure that information is captured and transmitted to support the care delivery process. And what we're gonna be talking about tonight, I believe is making sure that as, as a layperson you understand how, how information flows, what it means to you, and basically how you take that information and turn it into the knowledge that allows you to take better care of yourself. That sounds good to me. I think that's something that would be useful for us all to explore. We've heard a lot about medical records of late into the 2000s and how they're going to be beneficial, how they're better than paper. So I'm excited for us to explore for the audience what this means exactly. You know, it's an interesting thing when you talk about electronic medical records and the computerization of records. The first thing that we usually run up against is concerns about privacy, right? Yes. Everybody is concerned about, oh my gosh, who's going to see my information? Um, the reality is that medical records have been around forever. They were on paper. And when they were on paper, nobody worried about who went into the file cabinet and saw them or who they were faxed to and everything else. But the minute you digitize them, people become concerned about that. But the reality is when they're digital, we can protect them. We can lock down who has access to them. We can audit and tell you exactly who looked at, what they looked at, what time they looked at it, who they sent it to, right? Controls that you don't have in a paper world. Um, the other thing that the electronic medical records do is they allow for processing of a lot of information. And we'll talk about knowledge and information today, but... The key to being able to manage your health and managing anything else is about information and how and how it moves. And I think in modern healthcare, something I've been saying to my staff and my organizations for the last few decades is as a chief information officer, my biggest job beyond just getting the information and keeping it safe is making sure that the information always moves faster than the patient does. I mean, there should never be a time where you are somewhere and you need your information and you don't have it. So in the old days of the paper records, you may have to wait for something to be faxed or wait for a copy of your x-ray to be sent somewhere or, you know, go back to get your lab result. Or wait. Now, when it's electronic, all of those things go away. So making sure that the information moves faster than the patient does is absolutely critical to enabling the, the modern healthcare delivery system. 
That's a really great way to put it, making sure the information moves faster than the patient does. I'm already envisioning that, you know, you're on the second floor to get your x-ray. And by the time you go up to the doctor to, for him to read it, he's already seen it. You don't have to fetch it. You don't have to wait for it to be printed out. That's really convenient. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a, a quick story. Early in my career, when we were first putting in um, packs or imaging systems for, for x-rays, right, where you make them digital versus an old film, I remember um, seeing a patient in one of our clinics in the hospital, and that patient was there for about two and a half hours waiting to get a copy of her x-rays sent over uh, to the hospital. Now, like most hospitals, we were in a medical complex. So the doctor's office that had her x-rays was literally a three-minute walk across the street from where she was sitting. And I remember thinking, this is insane. And the time this poor lady has been waiting, I could have gone over there, taken the x-rays again, and brought them back over. Um, in a digital world, that doesn't happen. Right? As soon as the x-ray comes out of the machine, it doesn't technically even come out of the machine like a film. It's automatically digital and it's available to anybody anywhere in the world who needs to care for their patient. How does that work? For example, you spoke about this lady. What was the holdup? Why was she waiting two and a half hours? Because someone actually needed to cross the street or because the information highway wasn't that established yet? Because the people who needed to release the information, who need to go pull her file, right? They were busy. They were caring for patients. And so first she had to call, right? And get some receptionist or somebody who then had to get a message to somebody else who was busy. And I, I can't imagine why it took two hours, but just the process. So in reality, even if she had walked across the street, she may still have had to wait for whoever was going to actually go pull her jacket to go and get it. And so I would say to people, that's the major benefit of electronic records. You should not be afraid of them. They can be secured. And we always worry about privacy and, and you know, when we're giving it to the healthcare professionals, but we will all go online to these apps or whatever. And we'll talk about apps and we'll just do the click through, right? Nobody ever reads all the warnings on that computers and you give up all your rights and you give them your information, but you restrict it from the doctors who needed to care for you. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if people restrict it. They probably just, yeah, maybe they restrict it. <laughs> they, don't, they don't give the authorization or they do other things because they're scared about releasing their medical records to medical professionals. And that level of fear doesn't exist anywhere else. I mean, I've seen situations literally where people who have, you know, not agreed to electronically share their records between the providers, but will post on Facebook about, you know, some experience they had, which includes information that would readily tell people something about their condition. Funny that you say that. And I, I'm also thinking of the fax machine because here we still, they'll say, oh, I'll fax your referral over to the other doctor. Or if I have a referral in my hand, when I call and I say, okay, I have this referral, how can I get it to you? The first thing is a fax. Who owns a fax machine? We all do. Every phone, every phone is now a fax machine. I don't know why anybody would want their fax anymore, but every phone is now. You know, you take a picture of it, it's sent with some little program you have on your phone. But it, it's, it's a very um, strange way of, of thinking. It is. If we're all in the same medical complex, or if my doctor is attached to a hospital, is my information automatically transferred between those two institutions? Only when it's appropriate. So we have, we have controls which talk about 
when and how information should be shared. We, we have need to know, minimum necessary. We have situations where you have to be associated with the patient, right? Be a provider of record. You don't just go in and pull it out. We have mechanisms to audit who's looking at what records. And we one of the things we would audit, for example, is which physicians or which, which providers in our system looked at the record of a patient where there was not an established relationship. So you're not a doctor on this patient's care team. Why were you looking at that patient's chart, right? We look at that. We have things that are called break the glass that says the information is there, but if we don't know that Dr. X was just hired as your urologist, so you just engage them as urologist, and they try to access your record, we say, you're not on her care team. He says, yes, I am. Then there's something called break the glass, which is like, if you think about fire extinguisher where you break the glass because you need to get this out. Right. But when you break the glass, it creates an audit records like setting off an alarm. And then we'll go look and see, okay, why did you access this patient's record? So there are all kinds of controls that we can put in place. Who does that and how often does that happen? So that is a process that's managed by our um, combination of our compliance teams, our medical records teams, and the information services teams. And in most cases, it's set up based on relationships. So for example, most people have a primary care provider or a referring provider of some sort in a relationship. So if you came through the hospital, and there are actually laws in the U.S. for things like this called event notification. So we are obligated to notify your primary care provider of your hospital encounter. So if you come into the emergency room, we would send an, um, what's called an event notification to the appropriate doctors from your profile. And obviously you have to tell us who they are to say your patient had this encounter so that they're aware and they can figure out what they need to do to help you. So there are many ways in which it happens. That sounds really helpful. So, you know, if you go to the ER, let's say they sent you home, you're supposedly going to live, but you want to follow up with your family doctor just in case. Mm -hmm. He already has the file by the time you get back to him and he can see, oh, yes, I saw that you went there. They ran your bloods. This is what it said. Let's follow up. Let's not follow up. It's not on me to try to get that information to him. He already has it. Um, he already has access to it. And, and, and we'll, we'll talk about information and knowledge. Uh, but just because that information was transmitted to him or to a system that he has access to, doesn't mean that he's knowledgeable about it. So my advice is that we each take responsibility for our own health. And we don't rely on any third party, including our doctors, to be responsible for that. Um, if you leave the emergency room, and as you put it, which is so very Nikita, that supposedly you're going to live. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not sure you're going to live, uh, let's not assume that if, if they're supposedly wrong, that your doctor will catch it and call you before you die, at your bed and die in your bed at home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I honestly, I'm just not convinced that they always check you thoroughly. You know, mistakes happen. They do very, very, you know, I, I think it's rare, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it's less about mistakes in some cases than it is about the gap between information and knowledge. Before we go to the gap between info and knowledge, let's just take that ER one step further. Is it possible? Is it easy enough for somebody to say, can you give me a printout of all that occurred here before I go home? Is that a service that you typically offer? Is that easy to do? Yes, you, you have a right to request copies of your records. And, and in many cases, um, 
you can get a copy of it before you go. Um, but most of us now in, in, in modern electronic medical records, we have a, a patient portal. So you can go home and go online or you can go on your phone and you can pull up your, your chart and you can see your discharge instructions, right? So in the old days, you'd get that, you know, fifth copy of a, of a five page uh, multiple form with the carbon and you can't really read what's behind it. Or you would come home with a big stack of papers, you know, 50 pages high of everything that you need to know. Right. So you have a lot of information, but you really have no knowledge about your health. Okay. So if I request, but you, the patient portal, is that only in my hospital system, for example? So let's say the university hospital system of Dallas and my issue happened in San Antonio. Do those portals talk to each other or is that portal for my home health institution? Great question. The portals are usually provided by and managed within a local institution, but there are mechanisms, more and more portals now will allow you as a patient to connect multiple sources. So if you have care from different sources, you can. Um, But importantly, in terms of that, that would apply to you seeing your information in a given portal or application that you choose to use. But for your providers, we have this concept of health information exchange, which is where information is shared between providers with the right consents and everything else. So in, in, in most systems now, you have, when you're registered, right, we can say as you're registered with your permissions and all the things that some people don't like to give access to, we can pull records from elsewhere in the system. And I've seen situations a decade ago when I was in North Carolina on an electronic system that when we registered a patient, we were able to see, right, we being the people caring for her, relevant lab results from a visit that she had internationally. I believe it was in Dubai. Oh, wow. Okay. So she didn't even remember that she had been to the hospital in Dubai in the context of that engagement or that it was relevant to this visit, but they were able to see that information and actually it informed how how they cared for her. And they were able to see that because she had previously given some sort of consent for all of this to be linked. Consent for her information to be shared appropriately across the health information exchange, which is now built into most of your modern electronic health records. That's fantastic. It it really is, it's a global system. It it, it really is. I, I've seen, you know, situations where, you know, somebody went to a pediatrician and the pediatrician asked them a question about something that they saw in their records. It was very relevant that, you know, they, they would never have talked to mention them to the pediatrician about their child. And it's because the systems are connected. We know that that pediatrician has the need to know and you've given consent to share your record for the purpose of care coordination and taking care of you, which is a good thing to do in my mind. Um, It's sometimes scary. We want to lock our records down. We don't like electronic health records, but there are plenty of parallels, right? Um, When was the last time somebody went into a bank or wrote a check? Yeah. Banking is all electronic. The whole world is digital, but we expect our healthcare to stay in the stone ages on, on paper records because somehow it's unsafe. And there are many, many people who make a living stealing health information and, and, and medical records. But there are also many, many people who make a living stealing your money off your banks and credit card fraud. But you don't say to your bank, I will refuse to bank with you if you're going to use this electronic banking system. I want my paper banking back. 
That's funny. And you mentioned a pediatrician and I'm chuckling to myself because I actually have a laminated version of my clinic card because that's really the only record I have of the vaccinations I've had since I was a baby. And it was a little cardboard card and it started to fray, but I want it just so nobody has to poke me again ever in life. And (laughs) so... (laughs) When I saw that that little dingy yellow card was falling apart, it's now laminated. <laughs> so babies born today don't have to worry about that. No, babies born today have online immunization records that are not only available to them in the portal, but in most states, they're uploaded to immunization registries that track immunization for the entire state and can be shared across states. So if, you for, if you've lost your card and you forget what shots you've had, chances are somebody can go into a system and look it up and let you know. That's very fortunate for them. Let's talk about knowledge and information. You brought that up and you wanted to make the distinction. Can you let us know? Yeah, so information is, and and let me qualify this by saying, this is, is my interpretation. It's a lay interpretation. It helps me to understand it. If you were to go to a professor or some dictionary or something, you'll, you'll find something different. But information is, is something that, that, is, that is known, that's available to you in, in written, spoken, or some other form. And in my mind, the difference between knowledge and information is that the knowledge is internalized. It exists within you, not in something you have access to or something you heard. So, for example, if um, you get that copy of your records that you asked about when you leave the hospital, and it says that you have high blood pressure, and while you're groggy and stressed of being in the hospital, the doctor informs you that you have high blood pressure, then you have information that says you have high blood pressure. But until you internalize that and realize what it means or that you have it, that you, you process that, it's not knowledge. When it's in your head and you now know it, you can think about it. That to me is knowledge. So knowledge is something that is internal to you. It exists within the person who has the information as opposed to in some other form. It is actually information that is processed and I think goes further, has meaning, right? So um, knowing that you have high, high blood pressure is one thing. Knowing that high blood pressure is not good, right? Now, now we're starting to get the knowledge. So that's, that's how I see the difference is knowledge is what will enable you to make decisions that change your behavior and improve your health. Information on its own that's not internalized and becomes knowledge will not help you. So that's that's the way I like to I like to look at it is knowledge is, is really something that that you know and you've processed so that um, it has meaning to you and has an opportunity to change your behavior. It doesn't always I think maybe we get into wisdom if you know it and you actually do something with it. But just to have read it or heard it, especially in, in, in the healthcare setting, a lot of times you're given information when you're not in the right frame of mind to process it because you're nervous, you're scared, you're not feeling well, you're on drugs, right? You all these different reasons. So you get lots of information, but it's not really knowledge. It's not helpful to you in taking care of your health because you haven't processed it and internalized it. How do we process it and internalize it? Are there steps we should take? Um, I think it starts with intent. I think it starts with, with, with 
understanding and knowing that you need to be informed and knowledgeable about your health. And once you have that knowledge that you understand what it means and changes your changes your behavior, right? So for example, um, you, you may know that you have high blood pressure because they told you that. You may take the extra step to say, okay, high blood pressure is not good, right? Because in many cases, people don't know if something's good or bad. Believe it or not, there are many people who don't know if high blood pressure is good or if low blood pressure is good, right? The doctor might say, oh, your blood pressure is low. And I think, hey, good, you know, I, I scored really well and I, my blood pressure is low. So you really have to have some context and know what it means. And then knowing that, you need to go a step further and say, why do I have high blood pressure, right? Is it hereditary? Is it because of my diet? Is it because I'm taking some pill that has a side effect that raises my blood pressure? So knowing is the first step. And then the more you process that knowledge and turn it into more knowledge, and then you have the wisdom to make decisions based on that knowledge, I think is how this works. So the first step is wanting to understand your health and seeking knowledge and being willing to process information going home with the discharge instructions and putting them in a nice folder and not reading them is not helpful. Um, you know, talking to people in your network, you don't know everything. Uh, many of us have somebody in, in their family, right? Who, who knows this? You, you've, you've got this wonderful thing that you're doing now because you want to help others with this season, this podcast. Um, and, and, and you reached out to me, not necessarily because I'm a CIO, but because I'm your uncle, I'm in your network and you know me and you think I have something that could be of value to your audience. Yes. In some cases, people know somebody who knows something that could be of value, not to their audience, but to them and to save their life. And they're hesitant to speak to people in their network. We all have friends, family, neighbors, somebody who can help us to understand and manage our health. We're also potentially stepping on a can of worms there, but it depends on who your friends are, who your network is that you actually like and trust these people. How uh, close <laughs> they are, how much they blab your business. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, but not everything about those conversations has to be personal and put you at risk, right? So if you happen to have a nosy cousin who is a very good nurse, you don't have to say, well, girl, I went to the doctor today and I had this and it was ugly. And he told me, you say, hey, can you help me understand about blood pressure? Right. Like, what, what, is, what does that mean? Or what type of doctor would I go to to find out about blood pressure? Right. So that would be enough for them to maybe know or assume that you have a blood pressure problem. Or you might just know somebody who has a blood pressure problem. Right. So if you don't trust the person, you don't tell them things that you don't want them to know, you don't you don't think they'll handle appropriately, but they're still part of your network and they have information. Actually, they have knowledge because it's knowledge to them that when they inform you, you can improve your knowledge base. Yeah, that's a very fair and reasonable approach. You also mentioned apps earlier in our conversation. Is there something in particular you think we should know about apps? Yeah, there, there are many, many apps that do many, many things. And I, I couldn't even tell you what all the different apps are in, in healthcare. But I think that apps play a role 
in helping you to manage your health because um, it's very difficult to process all the information that's available to us, right? It's very easy to get information overload, especially if you don't understand some of these concepts or if all of your friends are that nosy cousin who you don't feel comfortable <laughs> trust, um, you can replace them with an app, right? Wouldn't it be cool if you can replace all your friends with an app? <laughs> um, because the app can take information and, and present it to you in a way that you can consume it and turn it into knowledge. The app can find more information than you can find and it can present it to you in context. So there are many apps out there that do all kinds of broad things, right? Some of them claim to be the one place where you can connect to every doctor you've been to in every place and get a single place for your records. For most people, that's not really helpful because you will just overwhelm yourself with information. It's all going to come at you from different ways. You don't know what it means. So that's right. just having an app could actually not be useful to you. But if you had high blood pressure, the example, um, you can get an app that helps you to manage your high blood pressure, right? If you had a weight problem and you were trying to manage your weight, you can get an app that helps you to manage your weight. And in order to do that, it might need to track your calories. So you might need to connect it to everything, right? In this day and age, you may have a, a smart refrigerator and you connect the app to your refrigerator. These things are not that far off. And when you grab a piece of cheese, it says, hey, I think you ate the cheese you took out of the fridge. So I'm going to add those calories to your list and you might, you know, want to not go to the fridge and get cheese so much. A little bit of an exaggeration, but mm -hmm. we're not far from, from that type of thing. So I think apps should be targeted and you should realize that, that apps really help to curate and organize the information that allows you to gain the knowledge you need to take care of your health. Um, the other thing I will say about apps is that the target audience for any app you use should primarily be you, right? There are many people now who want to go to sign up for something such that their doctor gets an alert and gets all this information about them, right? All your fitness, how many steps you've taken. No doctor. He's not reading that. Yeah, they have no time. It's impossible yeah. for them to do that. And what it does is it becomes noise and it may actually hide important things that they need to know. Um, I don't have the actual statistics. I should. But I would say anecdotally that only about somewhere between 5 and 10% of the information that's relevant to your health is available to the providers who help you with, with managing your health because it involves things like lifestyle, diet, exercise, right? Things that, that they don't know. And then if you just do the math, 24 hours in a day, 365 days in a year, you may go to the doctor, even the sickest people, maybe once a month for an hour, right? So that's, that's 12 hours of 365 hours. And, and in those, the rest of those hours, you're doing many, many things that have an impact in your health, everything from what you eat to how much you sleep to how much you exercise to um, things you have with other doctors that they may not know about, um, over-the-counter things that you're taking. There's so many things, stress at work that, that impacts your health, how often you brush your teeth, right, impacts your health. All these different things are, are out there. So the doctors only see a very small sliver of the things that impact your health. But in theory, they do have those check boxes on the intake form. Are you stressed? 
how many times a week do you exercise? So I guess they could say, well, they're trying to at least get an estimate or a measure on those aspects of your life. And I'm sure that in the 15 minutes that most of us get to spend with them, they process every single bit of that information and turn it into knowledge that's just about you and not about the other 65 or 70 patients they might have seen that day. I'm not trying to put doctors down. I think we have to be realistic. It is, it is grossly unfair to them to expect them in these short interactions to process all the information about everything about you. Doctors are, are specialists too. Even when you go to a general practitioner, they don't know everything, right? And they would need to direct you somewhere else. So they can't process it all, right? Medication reconciliation, one of the single biggest things that I think that people with many conditions need to do is understand how your medications impact each other. I've seen when we implemented um, rules or regulations that require that your medications be reconciled by the providers. And we're asking providers to reconcile meds. And I've seen surgeons, very, very good surgeons. If I needed surgery in their specialty, I would climb a mountain to go see these guys. But as a surgeon, who's, they're, they're a specialist in something. And they know about drugs like, you know, keep them from bleeding, keep them from getting infected, etc. cetera. Um, and then they have to go reconcile a list of 50 medications, some eye drop that they heard nothing about. They know nothing about eyes, some this, some that. And, and so then they're supposed to spend the time and go study all these meds to figure out if it's going to cause a, a reaction with something else on your list. So it, it, it's not a good use of their time. It's not good for you to rely on them to do that. So you should have the information to, to reconcile your meds or minimally you should be able to walk in and say, hey, I'm taking all these other meds for blood pressure. Is there anything that you are going to give me, right? Because they should know about the meds that they're going to give you that will cause a problem with any of these drugs that I'm taking. Not reconcile everything I'm taking. Right. With your awareness of what I'm taking, what you're going to give me. They still may not know that because they have to know something about everything you're taking, but at least it starts with the assumption that they know what meds they're giving you. They should know the side effects and the risk for that drug. And you give them some additional information, right? So now they know because you've told them that you're taking all these other meds. And if you're concerned enough, you can say, well, I'm specifically concerned about what I heard or read on the internet or my app said that I shouldn't take these two things together. How do you do that? They may have to go research it, but at least you're narrowing it down and you're helping them to help you. That's an excellent point. So there, what I'm hearing is there's an onus on us to at least be aware of what we're taking, what's going on, so that we can let them know. And then there's also the benefit of technology in that should all these things be entered into the system, alerts can be set up. Uh-oh, A and B don't go together. Someone needs A human now needs to look at this and verify Correct. And, and again, this, this is another opportunity for this whole discussion of knowledge versus information, which is the theme we discussed. Um, that's, a, that's a great piece of information. I remember one of the first times we set up an electronic medical record and we had these, um, these drug interaction alerts set up. And I don't remember the drugs, so I'm not going to try to get them right. But essentially, I had a very frustrated set of physicians because almost every day, 
they would get these alerts that I forget the two drugs, but the one drug in the nice alert from all the fancy literature said that this drug would potentiate the other drug, right? Which means it makes it more powerful. It, it, it um, accelerates the value, the, the effect of it. Okay. And it was extremely annoying to the doctors to get that alert. Why? Because they that, need that? That, that, that's why they ordered it. Yes. Right? Because <laughs> They wanted the drug to be potentiated. Yeah. So from the literature, from the information perspective, right, it was informative that this happens when you mix these two drugs. The doctor's knowledge says, yes, I know that, and I want that to happen. Mm -hmm. So then we've got to tune the system to deprioritize those alerts so we don't have a busy doctor who's getting hit with the no-duh alerts every few minutes. I should remember what those two drugs were, but uh, about the time the fifth physician was ready to kill me and throw the computer out the window because of these the noise, right? And so we we can do so much with with information. I can program the computer to give the doctor so many warnings that they get what we call alert fatigue. Right. Right. And then when that happens, then you kind of disregard it. You see all those little exclamation marks and you ignore them. Right. And, and and sometimes it's hard, right? Because we, we may get an alert that says, hey, you just ordered a dose that's three times the normal dose for this drug. Now, it could be you made a mistake and that alert really needed to happen. Or it could be you wanted this patient to get a triple dose because that was probably the way to save their life. Mm-hmm. We, we can't really compensate for it because we don't know why you ordered a triple dose. Was it an accident? Was it not? So we can't disable every alert, right? So some of those we have to live with. But this this issue of having information available and having the knowledge to use it wisely, an example of how we apply that is in how we calibrate the alerts within a medical record system. And, and, And by the way, for all those who might be terrified that this guy who is a computer guy who is just speaking casually to his niece on a call is making those decisions. We don't make those decisions. The clinician (laughs) and the informaticists make those decisions. And then based on their decisions, we configure the system. So please don't think that I'm the guy who decides what alerts your doctor. (laughs) Well, it's, it's good that you clarify that. That thought hadn't crossed my mind. I assumed it was subject matter experts, but you never know. It's, it's it, it, it helps to clarify. Who, who went to medical school and pharmacy school and who know what they're talking about. And I just get to help them to enable that with the computer and, and manage the various bits of information. One thing I think is cool and has probably been happening forever is how you are matched. Like one time when I had a family member in hospital before any dose was administered, they come, they look at the number on you, the number that's on your file, the number that's on the drug, and they just make sure that they ask you your name and just to make sure that everything matches up to avoid any accidents as much as possible. Right. So um, you have some some information because you, you, you've you seen it and you've heard it. Um, the, the knowledge that needs to go with that information is, is why do they do it? Remember I said this thing about knowledge mm-hmm. and it's kind of complex. So you have that information. The why is, is to prevent errors, mm-hmm. right? And, and they do something called the, the five rights, right? Right patient, right drug, right dose, right route. 
because if they don't do that, then bad things happen, medical errors happen. So as a patient, what that means for you is you want to make sure they're practicing the five rights. You want to make sure that if they forget to ask you for your name or your date of birth, you should say, (laughs) 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 I know you didn't just try to give me a pill without verifying it's me. Right. How do you know it's the right dose? And how do you know it should be a pill and not an IV? Is that the right route? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, they know that. (laughs) But but no, there is this concept of the five rights, right? Mm -hmm. And making sure you've done that. Um, It could mean like if you're going into the operating room, right? They they may say to you, oh, um, tell me your name. And you say, I'm Nikita Boston. And you're nervous, you're on the table, you're about to go in. And they say, oh, are you here to have, you know, a, a procedure on your right arm? And maybe that procedure is we're going to cut your arm off because it's good. And you say, oh, yes, because you're nervous, you're not paying attention. And you should be listening to say, no, it's my left arm. Because yeah. you don't want to wake up three hours later <laughs> <laughs> because it was the wrong arm. And so as a patient, those are the types of things that, that are very, very helpful, right? Even when you're useful. And if you don't trust yourself with that, take someone with you, right? Now, they're not going to necessarily be in the operating room at that very minute, but you would make sure that you say, hey, I want you to, if you, what if it takes to make you comfortable? You know, I want you to talk to the doctor before I go back. You can say to the doctor, I want you to talk to this trusted person on my network. And if you're worried about it, you can say, make sure he knows it's my right arm. And so when the person you say, do this. Or if you are, if you have an allergy, a lot of times we forget when we're sick or nervous or whatever, right? It should be in the computer. But you don't always trust the computer or you don't trust the person to look at the computer and see that information or to see that information and convert it into knowledge that helps them remember. So take charge of it and, and, and navigate yourself. Understand why people ask these questions and why they do the strange things that they do in hospitals. Um, why, why does the nurse, you know, hold up the syringe and kind of tap it like she's playing a, a song on it before she gives you a shot? Mm-hmm. Right, that you, you you're informed. You you see her do that, so you have that piece of information in your head. But if you don't know that she's doing that to make sure the air comes out of the syringe, right? That's that's now knowledge. And it's further knowledge, you know that the air in the syringe can cause harm if it gets into your vein and, and causes an embolism. So that that that's knowledge, right? You 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 actually know what it means and what it means to you. I learned something new. <laughs> <laughs> you thought they just held up that needle to scare you, right? We're just I never actually <laughs> thought about it. I figured it served some sort of purpose, but as curious as I am, I never questioned that for whatever reason. I figured it was for air, but I didn't know. I, I just never thought it through. So thank you. <laughs> well, and, and, and just think about it, right? You're, you're, you're scared of needles, right? Because we're, we're talking about how do we get people more comfortable in the healthcare setting, and this has nothing to do with IT. It's just about... How do you stay informed and knowledgeable and take care of your health? And so you're scared of needles. What do they do before they give you a shot? They stand right in front of you, tap, 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 tap. <laughs> and you're seeing this big needle. It's 10 times the size when you're looking at it, and you have to think about it before they put it in. Well, you know, one, one thing they can do if they know you're scared 
is that they can turn their back to you when they do it or something like that. But you as a patient in this very simple, you want to make sure they're doing that. So you, you might say, okay, I'm scared of needles and I know you need to make sure there's no air in the syringe, but can you turn away while you do it? Usually I save them the hassle and I turn away. So, <laughs> But then you don't know if they took the air out. I don't know if they took the air out, but I at least know that it was a fresh needle. That that much I look. And then when once she's finished setting up everything, then I just kind of turn my face. <laughs> I'm not here to, um, to try to make people just go and make their provider's lives miserable by micromanaging everything that they oh, do. Oh, goodness, you no. Don't be, you don't want to be that patient. But this, this, this show, this conversation we're having is about empowering people to understand and take care of their own health. So I think all these examples, little though they might be, are useful to people who are trying to understand how they can take charge and navigate the healthcare system to improve their health. Absolutely. And I think the knowledge helps to reduce the intimidation factor, which is also what we're going for. It's just if you have a basic understanding of how things go, then you can engage better. But at the end of the day, we still trust our providers because we know they mean well, but at least we understand the process and they don't always have time to explain it to us so we can learn from other avenues as well. Correct. Any closing thoughts before you leave the cafe? You know, this this was fun. I, I really am. Um, I'm grateful that 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 you're doing this. I, I've not done something like this before. I honestly didn't know how it would go. We didn't we didn't rehearse, but um, a lot of the things make sense. And it, again, it goes into this. You know, we're we're not necessarily here to talk about IT and technology. It, it's about information and knowledge. And, and I try to distill my job into what that is. And, and the time we spent here together has given me even a different perspective on something that I've been doing for the last 30 years. I've had these these thoughts and, and, and it's kind of influenced how I work and how I do what I do and always tell my teams that we are in the healthcare business, not the IT business. And, and going through this session with you, it actually felt that way. So I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. It was lovely having you. It, it was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It was great to get a behind-the-scenes look at how health information technology systems work and learn why digitizing healthcare is beneficial to us. What did you think of the episode? Please let us know by dropping a line on our website, thegoodhealthcafe.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you in the cafe next time. Bye.